My name is Elifema Chu, and this is Deprivation Discourse. Every episode, I sit down with young people and professionals, and we have a real open discussion about what it is to be a young person in poverty today. You can find out more info about the research project behind this podcast at deprivationdiscourse.com. Hello, I'm with Nick Tilney today from SASH. Um, thank you so much for being here and being on the podcast. Um, what is it exactly that you do in SASH, Nick? Well, thanks for inviting me. Um, so I'm a project manager for SASH, which is a, a supported lodgings and night stop scheme in York and North Yorkshire. So we provide um, emergency accommodation and longer term placements for young people who are at risk of homelessness or experiencing homelessness or uh, in an unsafe situation. Uh, this is usually referred through the various local authorities, whether it be in York or North Yorkshire. Uh, and the difference uh, with what we do is a community-led model, really, where we recruit and train uh, volunteers within households within the community, so everyday people who are willing to support um, a young person practically and emotionally within their home, um, whilst we also support them um, during their uh, situation and experiences uh, to try and help them uh, kind of put things right in their life, really access education, employment training, um, maximise their income, gain the life skills they need to be able to move on successfully. Can you tell me what the process is from a young pe- person finding themselves uh, no longer in their home to them then being in supported lodgings or being in a host family, as you say, through SASH? Like what, what are the steps to that? Yeah, and it can vary from area to area what would happen. I'm going to okay. focus a little bit more on, on York as an example, which is the main area that I work in. So... Um, the, the background to it usually is some form of family breakdown, you know, and there can be lots of reasons um, that have led up to that breakdown. Um, and a young person being asked to leave or being at risk, so it's been deemed unsafe for them to leave. Uh, often they will then um, approach the local authority or speak to somebody at a college or somebody that they're already connected with who will be aware of SASH or other services. Uh, they would usually meet a youth homelessness worker um, who then would likely identify ourselves as one of the options uh, to give them accommodation and support. Um, in the lead up to that, um, a young person might need to go into emergency accommodation if they no longer have anywhere to stop. Uh, and that's where the night stop service that we run, uh, where we offer accommodation that can be uh, arranged and sorted that evening within the home of a volunteer, uh, can be done you know, within the day. So they have somewhere for that night for a series of nights, usually up to two weeks worth, um, so that the other agencies involved can then uh, find a suitable, sustainable place for them to live if it's not uh, possible to return home. Hmm. So with the the host family idea, I found that really, really interesting because the research that I've been doing, that I've been talking about a little bit on the podcast has been about how people think about poverty and kind of perceive poverty. And homelessness is a really similar thing because it's like people perceive young people who are homeless, maybe in a certain way that they wouldn't just perceive young people, you know, who are otherwise, you know, in a home. How do you kind of combat these ideas within kind of host families or within the community That'd yeah really yeah and i think it's i think it's a good point i think um i think there are stigmas against young people uh sometimes in general and mm-hmm. obviously if you had a homeless young person to the mix and then a homeless person people can sometimes have a um, a mental image of what it means to be homeless what it looks like to be homeless um and i think that if somebody's at a point of interest uh, and they've contacted us and they find out more they still might have those fears and we just reassure them that it's natural to to go through that thought process of thinking what if they steal from me in my home? What if they do something to me in my home? Or you know, but we, we our experience over the years, you know, it's twenty years of experience of, of providing this sort of accommodation, um, is that we can say with authenticity that these young people 
just need somebody to give them a chance and to give them some help and support. Um, they can come from all sorts of different uh, situations as far as their family lives, different uh, demographics in society, um, and that these are just young people who, who have faced some obstacles and, and that the amount of times that things go really wrong in placement, such as you know maybe something being tempted into stealing something mm. or, or something being damaged or broken, it is, is so rare and limited. It's not without challenges. You know, lots of young people uh, have... Um, obstacles and issues to, to, to overcoming themselves anyway and then you add family breakdown and homelessness uh, into the mix then it, it can become overwhelming but the idea is that the stability that a host family can provide along with the support from ourselves can help uh, I suppose negate and overcome those things so we yeah so just going back we do um, acknowledge to, to potential hosts or host families that, that it's natural to, 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 to be concerned but we can just give countless examples and, and we can link them in with hosts who've been doing the role for several years and they can meet with them and and you know the whole process in, in in somebody choosing to become a host and actually accommodating the young person. You know, is it's not right next week you'll do it. It's a process that builds up, and we can you know have lots of contact in between and introduce them to young people or or hosts currently, and and that certainly has helped. Um, and it kind of puts a human face on it. You know, that these are just normal young people who who want to try and do well in college or, or do well in a job or just move somewhere. Um, that they can have stability and, and, you know, feel secure, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I think security is a really, a really big part of it. And education as well. We talked a little bit about, um, well, I, I thought it was really interesting because I was looking at what Sash was doing and it said that, um, I think it was maybe Nightstop or maybe a host family and it was talking about how in the morning the young person would leave at an agreed time um, to do with their kind of school routine or if they're in education or whatever. And it just didn't really occur to me that young people who are homeless are also in education a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And, and uh, yeah, it is a lot of the time. And so, so part of the idea with Nightstop and then on to supported lodgings is that, OK, you know, it's not to, to suggest that it's not difficult emotionally to to be experiencing a family breakdown or just the instability and in where you're going to be staying even that evening. Um but we also feel it's really important that that period of instability in a young person's life doesn't dictate the tone of even the next couple of years or possibly beyond that. So we will do what we can to ensure that they can remain with an education, um, you know, making sure that they have the, the, the uh, ability to travel from where they've stayed within Nightstop to get to college, that they've got the funding to be able to get the buses. Um, and part of the Nightstop is that they, they're not going to stay in the placement during the day anyway, so it's actually better for them to be up and out and at college. Uh, and make sure we work with the colleges to an extent as well if somebody's at risk in that in that way. So, you know, so there is some mitigation if they do miss some parts of college, but we will do everything we can, whether it be employment or college, even if it comes to placing somebody in a, in a, in a accommodation in a household, which means they can still easily get to work or still mm. get to college. Where we can do that, we can do that. If it's a little bit farther, we'll make sure that the travel arrangement is in place to make sure they can still uh, carry on with their day-to-day -day responsibilities, really. Because I, um, I think it should be apparent that even if something's emotionally difficult, sometimes things do get too overwhelming, you have to take a step back. But in general, it can sometimes be more beneficial to just keep going um, and not be dwelling or, or dealing with the kind of the, the difficulty that is in the life, but to be distracted and, and focused on other things as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was going to say, um, with kind of them, the, the situation that they're in with being homeless or, you know, being in a bit of a precarious situation do they find it to be more challenging to go into education do, do you kind of see those barriers forming with kind of the the kind of 
connection between not having a place to stay not having a place to work um, and also kind of being in education and staying that and doing well yeah I, d- I definitely think there's a there's a the, the probably correct perception of those barriers I think if anybody had their living circumstances taken away from them especially if it's with with a lack of control over that happening that it becomes hard to then prioritize the other things in life um, and there are certainly barriers to that and then when people go into supported lodgings you know maybe a you know, confidence and self-esteem can be can feel much lower because of the things that have been experienced. So it's harder to be potentially motivated to, to feel confident enough to access education. But in the same respect, we still have young people. What we try and do is, is provide a, a softer landing so mm. that from we're not usually meeting people who are entrenched in homelessness. You know, we talked about some stereotypes, which are sometimes grounded in things that people have seen. It doesn't mean it's, it's you know, the absolute, but that stereotype of, of somebody um, who's experienced homelessness long term and maybe um, have substance misuse in their lifestyle or significant mental health problems or street drinking. We're, we're dealing with young people who are at the very beginning or maybe in the early cycle of things happening and breaking down mm. so that the softer landing can be being placed within a home, within the community with people who are up and out at work so we're normalizing the situation in the sense that you go up and you go to college and we'll help you get to college you just carry on everybody else is going to be doing what they can to sort out the situation and then then possibly come into a longer term placement whether it be with us or somebody else and they've kept that going um uh, so you know there's a way to overcome those barriers and I, i like to think that it's a in a way the provision is an intervention because if it wasn't there college could slip away yeah. The, the, the poverty could become a kind of endemic or a lot far reaching in their life whereas they're at that that threshold of it becoming a, a real risk to them, I think. Uh, yeah, times, yeah. I, I guess it's just someone stopping the cycle, you know, and like stopping the cycle of what could kind of continue and go on. Yeah. Um, which is kind of comes to the relationship that these young people have with their host families mm-hmm. um, or like families that, you know, have been involved in, in their journey when they came to you. Do those relationships continue after, you know, they, they maybe moved out of their home? or? Yeah, they, they often do. Um, and I think just before I touch on that, just as well, it's natural uh, that a lot of young people, whether it be night stops or going to, to a stranger's home that very evening or just moving in with a stranger and a stranger's family, we obviously lead up to a placement so there's some contact and, right. and comfort. But that is uh, naturally going to, in the usual words of young people, freak them out a little bit. Um, but I think on the whole, the experience is largely positive once they realise that these are just people who are willing and wanting to help, not in an overbearing sense, but just in a, in a supportive sense. You know, that they've maybe raised their own families um, or they've still got families with them now and they've just got the room, literally and physically in the house, to offer to a young person and they've got the time to support whilst their life is also going on with work and their family responsibilities. Um, we do have many young people who stay in touch with, with us. Some just go off and, you know, the work has been done and it might be years later they realise and look back and think, wow, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful and we've had a lot of feedback about that. But certainly... Um, We've got young people now, especially in York, that I'm aware of who will still go back for Christmas um, and go for Christmas dinner and things. Oh, that's a, lovely. An example of a young lady at the moment that's already booked herself in with her former host to, to go for Christmas. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, it can often be an ongoing relationship. Um, and I think that's completely natural. You know, we, we always say to young people, and, and it's reassuring to some young people to say it's not a replacement family, it's not supposed to be. And I think... That could be a, a touchy subject to think, oh, these are going to parent me. That's not the idea. The idea is to build up an adult-to-adult relationship. Um, but it's not to, these are human beings, aren't they? They're going to develop attachments and, and form relationships that can go beyond when they're in placement with them. I think as well something that you touched on earlier that I just wanted to bring up again was um, kind of talking about life skills and how you kind of develop life skills with these young people. Because mm. I think a really key thing 
that I was looking at in my research. And just a key thing, I think, about kind of the cycle of poverty in general is that people um, really do miss out on really key life lessons um, and things that people don't necessarily teach in schools and you have to learn yourself. Um, but when you don't have access to those kind of lessons or that kind of education, formal or otherwise, it really does slip back and it really does become quite difficult to know. For example, quite a big thing that's an issue um, is young people not having formal dress for um, interviews and that kind of thing. Um, And then as well, you know, not knowing how to... um, you know, address people in emails, that kind of thing. I don't know if this is something that you come across very often, yeah? Yeah, oh, no, no, it certainly is. Um, so, you know, so tracing it back, you know, we've got the young, young person who, through their family, they might not have had, um, you know, the input to, to help develop those things. And then they found themselves in a situation where actually the responsibility to, to at least learn those things becomes very, very apparent. Um, so, yeah, we, we um, help young people who maybe never experienced even going for a job interview before and then realise that they need the correct attire, they need suitable work, you know, they might not have the, the money to be able to buy these things so we can help them, um, you know, get the right shoes, get some trousers. You can get help through job centres sometimes as well, you know, to, to, to get funding to help mm. you um, look um, job interview worthy, I suppose, for want of a better word. And then same with colleges, you know, we can try and help young people because of the circumstances they're in, um, get vulnerable persons bursary to, to, you know, access to to free meals, to to college transport, to be able to buy course materials or help funding for trips or even just a little bit of a a top up of the very low income because of the nature of the circumstances um, through the college bursary system. So there's all those things that, that we do need to access for young people because otherwise I think they would probably even more keenly, strongly feel um, and a lot of young people do see and perceive the difference between maybe if they see somebody in a stable situation who's got the backup and help of, of, of family members or you know the funding to do things without question or even just go out for nights out without thinking, well, actually, I won't have money for my food or my bills if I do that, mm. um, that they do you know, see and perceive that. And we do try ourselves and working with other agencies, whether it be colleges, job centres, trusts, to try and close that gap a little bit. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, we were talking a little bit um, before we started recording about the things that Sash does to try and, you know, outside of just providing accommodation, but providing experiences and things like that, which I thought was great because it's, you know, it's it's a part of growing up and it's a part of having, you know, like a normal life, if you like, to be able to experience things. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, yeah, I think we realised many years ago that um, just providing um, somewhere to stay doesn't resolve any type of homelessness just having accommodation isn't isn't the resolution to homelessness because um it is more complicated than that so yep we provide somewhere safe for somebody to stay we provide the support to them um we try and encourage them into employment education or voluntary work at whatever level uh what you know that they can access and then build from there not dictating what they should do um but giving them choices or helping them find choices then supporting them with choices and but then these young people are um you know, living in these isolated placements, maybe family members and people they got on within the household, but we want to bring them together and make them realise that, um, you know, that there are other young people in this same situation. So um, part of Sash's is a part of the project called Sash Active, um, where we run a variety of, of trips, activities, residential trips, um, voluntary work within the community that we run, sort of programme of this over the year. Um, and so, sort of things that we've done... Um, with that, trips to theatre, cinema, um, we've done voluntary days um, at things like RSPCA, um, within sheltered schemes, uh, brain injury units, and we bring young people together in these things to, to do the voluntary stuff. The idea is that they get the chance to contribute something to the community, do something that's meaningful and worthwhile, but also in doing so, whether they're decorating um, you know, this vulnerable ladies' 
uh, flat in a, in a sheltered scheme, that's great. They, mm. She gets the benefit of that, and it's all done properly, you know, through the council and stuff. Um, but the young person's learning how to paint, learning how to decorate, and also seeing that you can contribute and do something good uh, for somebody and with somebody. And then again, you know, that's bringing maybe two stigmatised ends of society, young people and elderly people together, and that's been very good to do. Um, uh, residential trips to Peat Rig, you know, so doing those things that are a bit more of a challenge um, and are fun, but also you have to overcome certain fears, you know, whether it be of heights or um, jumping off something or abseiling down something or working as a team. Um, we've been on uh, trips to London every year. Um, so we do this in all areas. We do a combined couple of trips um, where we take young people uh, down to London, stay overnight, they get to see a West End show, uh, do a river cruise, a bus tour. Uh, get to do. We had a link with um, Rachel Maskell, the MP from oh, York, wow. and she uh, helps us get um, a tour around Westminster and go and see the House of Parliament, House of Commons. Some young people that we've supported have been to London, but a lot of them haven't. You know, right. it's the capital of our country. It's a very different to, to York, so it's a great experience, and it brings young people together. And these are these are things we do as as we've grown in. I suppose um, as the We've grown in, 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 in awareness, it's really people knowing what we do and why we do it, that we've been able to attract, I suppose, more supporters within the community, within business, who mm. are willing to contribute you know, things, things towards stuff like that, because we don't have a, a surplus of cash to be able to do these things unless people step forward and helped us. Um, so we try and keep all of those activities and the trips quite low cost for us. Yeah. We don't have a little budget for it, but it's through fundraising and it's through supporters stepping forward and... and you know, helping in that way. So, yeah, there's a, a real big uh, programme of those things. Feedback we've got from young people, we, you know, collect feedback from them and, and ask what they think and, and take on board their suggestions of things they'd like to do. Um, but a lot of young people have said it's helped them feel more confident. Um, it's helped them make friends, just feel better about themselves, achieve something. Um, and it links in, you know, if somebody's um, starting to improve their life skills as far as being able to look after themselves, you know, the basics and... and I said, you know, we talk about poverty is the poverty in their experience as far as being able to look after themselves, be responsible uh, and kind of that, have that thrust on them. So it's got to be balanced with the fun things, the experiential things that they can do um, to make them, I suppose, you know, not to be cheesy, but to give some hope to the situation as far as actually I can go off and do this. I can be involved in that. I've achieved this. Um, uh, yeah. So it's a, we, we try and do all of those things really to help young people. I think it touches on something that I think is quite important, which is. How do the how do the young people feel, you know, about going into these situations? Because I guess working for an organisation that works with so many young people and so many, you know, families, that young people feel generally when they find themselves in these situations and then they kind of get the help that they desperately need. What I would say is that um, I've seen different reactions in, in different young people right. um, from... And I don't think we look or expect certain reactions, but some who, who kind of have a graciousness, a, a, a gratitude for the help they've been given. Um, but some, if the balance of what's been offered isn't quite right, can be a little bit put off by it, you know, um, or question why are these people trying to help me? Why do they want to help me? Why right. do they even care about me? So, again, not to psychoanalyse, but, you know, if you look into things like um, attachment theory and how people form attachments and some of the, the different ways that that can go, you know, it, it would reveal a bit more maybe about why individuals can react in certain ways. And I think it's important for us as staff and to, to help the, the host families understand mm. these things really just to interpret behaviour a bit more and be able to modify the approach, you know, and that's where, you know, we've helped do host forums where we can provide training for things like attachment theory or... Um, you know, mental health in young people and, and teenagers and, and all of those things to try and understand things a little bit more because, um, but in general, 
a lot of young people at the time, especially with the variety of things that were offered, rather than just being tucked away in a place, you know, that we're meeting with them, we're meeting them in different settings, that we're bringing them together in different settings, we're doing different things. I'd like to think that not just myself, but as a team, we try and go that little bit further wherever we can um, to, to get the help and support for a young person beyond the day-to-day -day of what we do. Um, I think that's that's recognised. But ultimately, the success of the whole situation is down to the young person. You know, we're not trying to parent or mollycoddle. It's, it's going to be up to them. We'll try and do our bit, whether it be through the host and the staff. But it's down to the young person. Mm. Um, and it's just bringing out the qualities and skills that they have already. Um, but they just need maybe encouraging and, 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 and nurturing to, to realise that they're there and to believe in themselves. So, you know, mm. I always look at it and not to, to, in a falsely modest sense, but, you know, the successes of young people are young people. And they've yeah. got massive barriers and obstacles and, and things to overcome anyway. If we can just give a little bit of help and support to, to guide them with that, then, then that's great. Yeah, 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 agreed. I think it doesn't it doesn't really surprise me that, you know, some young people, when they go into it, think, you know, what's happening? <laughs> you yeah. know, why do these people want to help me? Because what I'd find in the research that I did, albeit the research was with mums instead of young people, um, it was that, you know, it was this idea that they almost didn't deserve help when they were in situations where they needed to claim free school meals or they needed to claim certain benefits or welfare from the schools. It was that, you know, they, they or they don't need it or, you know, they, they don't want it or whatever. Yeah, I think that, yeah, it, could, and it, can, it can be that kind of... Um that self-deprecating sense of I'm mm. not worth, worth this or, or the, the prideful sense of, oh, you know, I'm different if I accept this help. And so we, you know, try and um, make young people realise that in society in general, sometimes people need help and support and you may as well take it when it's there because actually then you put yourself in a stronger position to contribute in your own lives and with what you want to do. So, yeah, there could be all sorts of, of resistances to accepting help, but we, we try and overcome that. It, it's a necessity sometimes to accept a little bit of help. Mm. Do you find that many young people kind of, you know, push away from it and kind of, um, you know, don't just say they don't want the help? Or is it kind of in a situation where since they've been referred, there isn't? Well, they're referred and we meet with young people before they're placed somewhere um, to explain clearly what SASH is about. You know, we like to be flexible and adaptable uh, in how we do things, but the model is what it is. Mm. Um, so we explain that to young people. And we never just throw them into a placement somewhere. We talk about what sort of household they'd ideally like to go into. We can't always meet that, but we, we explore it. We would always take the young person to go and meet the host, you know, the individual or family that they're going to live with, have a look around, meet them, have a chat. Could do that a couple of times if necessary or meet them neutrally if necessary. And then the young person has a choice. It's not this is where you're staying because there are other options outside of supported lodgings. Or, um, we give them a choice and then, then if they want to move in. doesn't mean from that point when they've chosen to move in, they're not challenges and, and things that happen along the way. And there can be moments where a young person, whether it be with the host or the staff, are engaging really well or they might sort of start to feel that sense of they're outgrowing the situation. Um, or so, so often we do, we've seen sabotage at the end of placements in the past where a young person finds it very difficult to move on in their, in their mind because they've got attached to a situation. And, you know, it can, it can lead to some difficult things like self-harm or, you know, risky behaviour. But I think going back several years, what we did in response to that was very build in that this is safe, this is stable, but it's a, it's a transitional process. You will be moving on. So we build that in from the very beginning, start talking about the future and moving on. Um, just to try and ease the path for that, really, at the end of the sabotage. Mm. And it's natural that a lot of young people um, towards the end of placements do slightly start to distance themselves, maybe from the host. It can happen. And that's part of the preservation, maybe, of knowing they're moving on, the situation's changing. Um, but then afterwards, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll have contact and go back. Yeah, so, yeah I think, uh, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a rewarding thing uh, for, for host families to do. And I think that's, that's why we've been able to retain and keep a lot of hosts across the various areas because of their experiences with it. Uh, and it's obviously um, 
rewarding for staff members as well to, 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 to see it happen. And especially in a model like this, you know, I think it's a very positive thing. Yeah, I was going to say, if you don't mind me asking this question, how, how does it feel for you to be able to work with so many young people and to see so many people, I mean, in many ways move on, but also find themselves go into a much better and brighter part of life? You yeah, know? yeah, I think it has to be a... It's very rewarding. And it's, it's um, I think, uh, you know, speaking very positively, but... Um, there's still been difficult situations, in, you know, many times over where placements have broken down and people have got themselves into serious situations, you know, whether they put themselves at risk or somebody else at risk. Lots of things have happened over the years. Um, but it, I think I've, I've not desensitised from that. I've just been able to deal with it better. Um, and, and it isn't the false modesty and stain. I obviously like to think that myself and my team uh, are having an impact and the hosts are having an impact, but I genuinely believe that it is down to the young person in the end and we just do everything we can to support them with that. But still, it's very rewarding. Yeah, it's a very, it's a, it's an enjoyable, enjoyable job to have. And, and because yeah. we work for an organisation that I feel is very supportive in SASH um, uh, and, and genuinely does try and do the things to, to make sure that we do everything to support a young person. So, you know, our, our funding in the different areas is often through uh, local authorities. Um, but they, even the core work we do that we're contracted with them, they don't fund the full costs of it. Um, so we fundraise to, to fill that gap. And then we also fundraise to do the additional things like the SASH Active and enable the voluntary stuff, which we, we fundraise to or try and seek the funds to do those extra things. Um, and I think just working somewhere that um, values young people and values doing more than the minimum as far as we're contracted to do, I think is an important thing. And it's helped me stay motivated and kind of committed to, to working at SASH for the last 10 years uh, and hopefully for you know for years to come. Yeah, it sounds hugely rewarding. It sounds hugely rewarding. I think because um, what I find particularly interesting about it is the amount of agency that the young people who have access to the service have, because yeah. it seems like, I think the way as well that when they're given a housing option, it's like, you know, you can you can decide what you want to do about this. And there's there's so much choice, whereas I feel like people who are in poverty often, um, you know, they're not they're not given choices. They might be given options, but, you know, they're not given the agency to make their own choices in many cases because there's this idea that people in poverty have ended up there because of their own choices or people in homeless people who are homeless have ended up there because of their own choices. But instead, it's it's giving them the agency that they deserve, you know, and that they deserve as if, as humans who are just going through a difficult time and have difficult circumstances. Very much so. And I think, um, I'd like to think um, that we're a little bit ahead of the, the curve with this. I genuinely do believe that um, that kind of trying to give young people choices and, and enabling them to make choices and not dictating what they should do or how they should do things, but kind of giving them the room and space sometimes to make mistakes as well, you know, uh, is an important thing. I have, I've seen that within... Um, through the local authority and different things that are happening as far as organisations and, and, and how they're seen as actually best succeeding is about a choice and empowerment and things, sort of jargonistic stuff at the moment, co-production, you know, where you involve young people or service users of any service in the design and delivery of the service. Um, you know, so you take, you don't just tokenistically take on board suggestions and things. You try and look at them, and if there's a theme of lots of people saying it, is how can you then introduce that into to what you're doing? Um, but yeah, from the moment of a young person having a choice to move somewhere, having the choice of where they move to, and how they move somewhere, what they do, how they do it, um, what things they take part in, it all has to be, you know, something that they like to say have the agency to to, mm. to be involved in or not. And I think it is very important. Yeah. Part, I suppose it's part of. Um, empowering somebody in the very basic ways but they're in a potentially situation which actually makes them feel quite 
limited in that respect. Yeah. Um, especially with, you know, possibly what they've had to experience to the point they've got to, yeah. Mm. How do you think then that we can, because the podcast and the series is all about, you know, um, you know, how do we alleviate the stigma around poverty and how do we alleviate the stigma around access and services as well? I know that the, the SASH is, it, it's referral and, you know, you go to it, you know, kind of when you're in kind of a really difficult part of your life or a young person is a really difficult part of their life. Um, but yeah, I mean, what you were saying about the best things for young people come from young people, you mm. know, and I believe that completely because um, this research project is about young people and young people have to be at the core of it, which is why um, I try and include a young person on every podcast that we have. so that Which they I'm can sadly have outside of that uh, age range now, but yeah. <laughs> no, uh, Nick is 19. <laughs> <laughs> Times two, um, <laughs> there you go, we've got it. But yeah, I guess my question is, you know, how, how do we encourage, um, I guess, local authorities or schools or you know any any other institution that deals with these really complex issues that young people have and complex issues that people have when they're in poverty you know by including young people like how do we do that how do we encourage that well i, I think the schools one's a difficult one because schools are operated in, in, in different ways aren't they yeah. so and then looking at local authorities i can only speak of, of york and, and and possibly some of the hubs in north yorkshire i genuinely think they are considering these things and trying to do I don't work for local authorities, it's a charity at Sash. Um, but I've genuinely I've worked with a local authority in the past, but I've not come away bitter or, or you know, judgmental over it. I think there are, there are the attempts there um, to try and provide a variety of services for vulnerable people and to try and rethink things when they don't work. And you know, I genuinely think there are enough voluntary and community organisations that are genuinely trying to do it. Um, I don't know if this is going a little bit off tangent, but kind of the thing that strikes me when, when we're talking about um, how do you alleviate... I suppose the mother perception of poverty or yeah. what people think of it is yeah. um, it's, it's more going on personal opinion now. I think there'll always be a struggle to do that as long as we have a media right. system in place that we have um, and the way politics, media and business intertwine. I think it's going to be hard to shift any stigma about young people or homelessness or vulnerable people in society um, whilst it's portrayed as it is and has been mm. for a long time. And I know that's... But on the ground level, I generally think uh, people are, m are much different when face to face with people. I mean, when we've talked about, um, yeah, how do people overcome those stigmas or the fears? And, and I think it's just by experiencing and doing it. And that's what our hosts do to their positive experiences. Is what we do as staff members and, and, and kind of working at the front line of services, see the attempts and efforts being made uh, across York and other areas to try and support and help uh, young people. Um, you know, there is a, you know, it's a sad reality, but, you know, we have several food banks in York that receive significant donations. We receive loads of community donations. So whether it be things like toiletries, because, you know, the cost of things and there's things like even, you know, um, female sanitary products, mm -hmm. um, toiletries, shower gels, basic clothing when it gets cold in winter, uh, even Christmas presents, uh, Easter eggs. Uh, we get so many things donated to us. Um, that we're able to distribute amongst young people who might not get those things, or they might be their personal cost of them when they're on a very low income. If you've yeah. only got £25 left over to spend for the rest of the week um, and you might have you know, extra costs on top of that, it's really difficult to prioritise some of the basics that that, you know, that money will go quickly. Um, but yes, yeah, so I think I, I just think it's, it's not all negative. There are a lot of people you know, within communities that are willing to help um, and do help. Mm. Um, almost to the point of we don't like want our young people to even think of themselves as homeless. Really, they've you know statistically they've come through the local authority. They are a homeless young person, um, 
well, the council would probably actually want to say that we prevented the homelessness. It's better for their staff. <laughs> um, so, yeah, maybe not statistically. Um, but, you know, OK, they've experienced an instability in their accommodation. And actually, you know, we don't even like to talk, even though it's within our taglines as a charity. When we're interacting with young people, we're not describing you know, you're homeless. And we don't mention that. It's about rebuilding and, and focusing on, on the future, really, uh, and building towards it. So Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, because I guess it's not just placing them in that in in that label, you know, in that stigma. And I think I often face this issue where I think it's really important to talk about poverty and it's really important to say that it exists because then it, you know, it gives it gives it space, it, it gives it the ability, you know, to be real. But at the same time, I think, you know, I wouldn't want to describe, if I'm talking to somebody in a podcast or whatever, I wouldn't say this person is in poverty, you know, because it's not it's not right to label people in that way and it puts them you in can, a frame. You can above, yeah, but yeah, and there's no harm in, in commentating above that. And yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. It's just, it's more, you know, I don't want to be fearful of, of using those terms with young people. Yeah. Um, it's just genuinely, not in a pious way, but their accommodation broke down okay they're staying somewhere safe now and hopefully then there'll be a move on plan where they move somewhere successfully this, this is the situation you know yeah. the, the, if they're but that's not to say in the other respects I think um, again just to touch on homelessness in general that um, you know they imagine that there are there are different levels of homelessness um, and I'm sure you know this but that, that um, are equally as challenging but at one end you have people rough sleeping um, you know kind of the things where you would see uh, people staying under a bridge or in a doorway Um and then there's kind of the hidden homeless, which I think is a big thing, and especially among uh, young people I've supported, who some have experienced street homelessness or rough sleeping for a period of time. And the kind of hidden hidden homeless aspect where people are kind of sofa surfing. So, you know, they might be able to stay somewhere for a couple of nights, then they're asked to leave or they can't stay anymore, and then they stay somewhere else a couple of weeks or a couple of nights, and that kind of never having a base to build yeah. from, never having stability, or st- staying in unsafe situations where, you know, okay, they're living somewhere, they're not officially on record as living somewhere so that's kind of it's uh, the, the important thing is for people to realize that homelessness isn't just that stereotypical you're living outdoors on the street mm. it, it, it affects uh, a lot more people than people would realize because you could walk around york and maybe see two or three um but there'll be a lot more people in the city or in any city that are actually homeless and don't have any fixed accommodation or somewhere stable to stay yeah absolutely yeah. i yeah i've i've kind of you know, I know people who've sofa surfed when when they haven't had anywhere to go after graduation. Or you it know. makes it sound quite exciting, doesn't it? Sofa yeah. surfing, but it's basically yeah, it's a you've bad got thing. Yeah, 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 it's, it's a bad not, thing. Yeah, and but also yeah, it's kind of like I think it was fairly recently where maybe sofa surfing was allowed to be kind of maybe made a statistic in homelessness, mm. um, where I think before it was just you know something that happened to people sometimes, but. Do you think it's that's more of a gateway to more serious issues? I th- yeah, I think the the issue with 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 sofa surfing and not to go with the, the terminology too much um, that the wave's eventually going to die down, isn't it? And you're going to be left with nowhere left to stay, and yeah. that's what we've seen. We've had young people refer to us who are sofa surfing for a period of time because they've been asked to leave home or the situations broke down, and they've said, "Oh, you know, I'm staying with a family friend, or I'm staying with my um, friend's family for a," but they've told me I have to leave by this time or it might be that they let them stay a bit longer but they're constantly living under the threat then of when that's going to run out because um, it's not taking up a, a room in a house it's literally just crashing at somebody's house who's kind of to let them stay usually whilst they sort something out um i just say there are people in general who stay somewhere like that for a longer period of time but it, it does run out a lot of people that access night stop and supported lodgings have been 
made homeless and then sofa set for a period of time and then might come to us through the, 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 the mechanism in place to be referred when that's running out or mm. it's stopped. Uh, or a young person often enters night stop because they're so... It might be that they're homeless on the day, they've been asked to leave, it's two in the afternoon, they'll go to the council. It could be that they've just run out of places to stop or for a period of time they don't have any options. They've run out of friends or people who are willing to put up with them anymore um, oh. just because they're staying with, you know, people that maybe don't don't feel the same linked to them and, yeah, so... So how do you think, I mean, this is quite a, um, I think, a maybe a bit of a conceptual question, but I'm just interested to know your opinion. Do you think there's any, do you think there's any hope in ending homelessness or how can we end homelessness or what are the causes of it, I guess? I don't think there's an easy answer. And I'd probably start going off left field about That's changing fair. from a capitalist <laughs> system to something else, changing the way media, business and politics operate and all yeah. of those things. I don't have a Russell Brand-esque plan in place, though, for how to... I don't have the revolution planned, but... That's uh, fair it, enough. I could only see it becoming... A, rather soberly, I would say, I think it would become a bigger problem, uh, much more likely than before it would be eradicated. Right. That's point. A lot of people that I've spoken to about poverty in particular... Um, have said that the problem is getting worse. And I don't know whether or not that's just because that's the, the outlook that we have as humans where things are always getting worse instead of they're getting better. Which they aren't. We live in the safest times, apart yeah. from the nuclear threat, we live in the safest times probably that we've ever experienced in the history of humans on this planet. Yeah. So it's safer now. But Try I mean, to go walking around York in the 1850s, <laughs> much more likely something will happen to you. It's true. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I find it interesting. But as well, what you said about, I think... Well, I'm not going to go into capitalism and media and things like that, but the structure, I think, structurally, society is what my research kind of looks at because the, um, there's this idea that the way that people talk about things creates a social space for it. So the way that people talk about people in poverty is, you know, people on handouts or, you know, these really negative ideas, it creates a perception of that. And then those people, that's their lived experiences because that's how people address them and it's how people treat them and it's how policy is made in respect that people are in poverty because or homeless because of their own personal choices. So, I, yeah, in a respect, I think that um, it's definitely homelessness and poverty is definitely a structural problem more than it is, I think, a, a, maybe a more local or personal problem, but people have to deal with it very personally, you yeah. know. That, I think that you're talking about creating the space for something, you know, things like Brexit left a vacuum, or a space actually, it wasn't a vacuum, a space for people um, with certain thoughts or opinions to express them. So it almost felt like a regression in some of the things that could be said about race, sexuality, gender, you know, it create, created that. Um, and I would hope that things, I think things are happening all the time um, that create spaces it's kind of the inverse of that, that are much more positive and much more hopeful and much more constructive um, and less about uh, the misdirection of blame or the proportioning of society's problems in clearly the wrong direction, which has been led by the media, it's led by politics, it wins elections, it makes money and all of those things. But um, I, yeah, I think I'm veering a little bit, but I think um, it's important for people with um, social issues more at the heart of what they believe in life and what they want to achieve in life or want to see others achieve in life. I think it's important for the people who feel strongly and passionately about that to articulate it in the right way and seek to promote why that is the best way for society to address structural problems um, rather than trying to belittle or, or disrespect possibly the ignorant, probably the ignorant, definitely the ignorant opinions of, <laughs> of many people when it comes to proportioning blame. 
Yeah, it's, I agree. It's a it's a structural problem that will that will manifest just in every area and in each area, especially whether you know York has a a bigger undercurrent of youth homelessness. I think uh, than people have realised. Uh, you know, and you could look at speculate on the reasons for that. You know, as a tourist city with a quite disproportionate housing market, kind of that that facade of it being a, a you know a very pretty uh, kind of historic city. And, but then it does have pockets, and it's different to some of the bigger cities in the urban spreads. I, I don't think it is on the same scale. I'd feel more comfortable visiting various areas of York than, than I might feel in my perception in, in some other places. Um, but I think there is that there is that gap. We have historically had higher levels of youth homelessness than than average in York. Uh, I don't know if that's changed in the last few years, but it's certainly something that was touted um, a couple of years ago. Is there anything else that you want to say? Kind of that, you know, you yeah, can yeah, go yeah. there. Well, I would, I suppose, I would just say that for for anybody who uh, listens to this podcast, if they're in a, a situation where they have a, um, you know, a, a home that they could offer a spare room in, um, you know, people that we have as host families, um, you know, we've got um, somebody, people who work for the police, work for schools, we've got somebody who works as a cleaner, people who've been in the military, people who've worked for charities, people, a whole range of people, much like the same. Stereotype shouldn't be applied to young people or the type of young person that become homeless. I would say the same. Um, it should apply to to who who could be a good host or what's a good family for a young person. It's somebody that with the the time and the willingness and the attitude to say I could do my little bit, I can contribute, I can help, and I've got a spare room. Um, and there's a lot more that kind of goes into it from our side to help a a, a person become uh, more confident and com- comfortable in in hosting a young person. And obviously, it can be nice to support lodgings, um, and it's not. A quick overnight process, you know, and there's there's checks, there's DBS checks, and there's all that relevant stuff. But if, if somebody was even just interested in it or being involved in doing anything for so we have lots of things that, that people volunteer, and the university's been a big supporter in, in volunteering for various things. And then please to get in touch with us, and at least we'd rather people talk to us and ask and find out more or whether anything comes of it or not. We uh, appreciate the interest. And thank you for inviting me to talk today. Thank you for coming on the podcast. You've been wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> 